chain of events, cause and effect. We analyse what went right and what went wrong, as we discover that many outcomes can be predicted, planned for, and even prevented. I'm John Chigi, and this is Causality. Causality is part of the Engineered Network. To support our shows, including this one, head over to our Patreon page, and for other great shows, visit engineer.network today. Cyclovia Tim Meyer. On the 17th of January, 2016, a bicycle path, Cyclovia Tim Meyer, was inaugurated, open to the public two days later, and the then mayor of Rio, Eduardo Paez, referred to it as the most beautiful bike path in the world. The pathway cost 44.7 million reyes, or 12.6 million US dollars to build, and opened seven months ahead of the 2016 Rio Olympics. Whilst not specifically intended to be a centrepiece of the Rio Olympics, it was heralded at the time as a major legacy project built for the Games as part of the infrastructure improvements in and around Rio for the Olympics. Interestingly, Rio had bid for the Olympics six times since 1936, when it finally won the right to host the 2016 Olympics in 2009. Payes was heralded as the mayor that brought the Olympics to Rio. The path itself is a narrow pedestrian and bicycle path that connects the two beachfront neighbourhoods of Sao Conrado and Leblanc in Rio de Janeiro. It is 3.9 kilometres or 2.4 miles long from end to end, and due to an existing roadway, steep natural rocks and limited real estate, it was necessary to build several sections as suspended slabs supported by concrete pillars level with the roadway but separate from it. On Thursday, the 21st of April, 2016, it was a public holiday in Brazil, and being mid-autumn at about 26 degrees Celsius, or 79 degrees Fahrenheit, it was still bustling with people all along most of the coastline. Just before lunchtime that day, an unusually large wave pounded into the rocks beneath the pathway, 125 metres from a nearby bus stop on Nymea Avenue. The force of the water and corresponding updraft were enough to dislodge a 50-metre or 80-foot length, just enough that the interconnecting steel brackets snapped, and upon lowering back down onto the middle support pylon now off-centre, they both pivoted and collapsed down onto the rocks below. Two segments had collapsed. The first segment was a shorter, approximately 6-metre-long segment, The second was a significantly longer segment at approximately 40 metres long that cracked in half in the collapse. There were five people on the sections at the moment of impact, sending them down across the rocks and into the ocean. At that moment, however, with very few eyewitnesses that saw the exact moment of the collapse, it was unclear in the early moments afterwards just how many people were on that span of the path as they were washed out to sea. Rescue helicopters were dispatched to search for those that were washed out. Three ultimately survived with moderate injuries. The other two, Eduardo Marino Albuquerque and Ronaldo Severino da Silva, were found floating, lifeless in the ocean. Their bodies were hoisted by helicopter to nearby Sao Conrado Beach, where they remained for several hours. The helicopters continued to search while there was still daylight before being called off. The bodies of the victims were left on the beach for ground-based emergency crews to attend to. 
However, due to miscommunication and the availability of ground-based emergency crews at that time, they remained on the beach for several hours, initially covered only by bathing towels. Adjacent to the victims, only a few feet away, a group of young men continued to play a game of pick-up soccer, a scene that was captured on film, much to the disgust of many in Rio. The reaction from parts of the community in Rio was one of outrage about how those men could be so insensitive and disrespectful. The truth was that the young men playing soccer on the beach were of a different class in Rio society, where they would see bodies on the streets waiting for an ambulance to come and had been somewhat desensitised to the sight of a deceased person. In the lead-up to the Olympics, however, it was an image that seeded doubt in the eyes of the world as they started to turn to look to Rio. It was also a stark reminder of the divides that existed in a city about to host the largest sporting event in the world in only a few short months' time. So what went wrong? The pathway itself was sufficiently strong to withstand the weight of people, cyclists and such, on the spans. However, the construction clearly did not include enough consideration for impact from the ocean. The spans themselves were precast, pre-stressed concrete slabs, each lowered into position on site. The flat segments were 2 metres wide and only 50 centimetres thick, with a single concrete I-beam on the centre line underneath to provide support on the longer section. The shorter span consisted of a similar construction, however, used two significantly smaller support beams symmetrically placed beneath. The spans were found to not have been anchored physically to the support pylons directly, but rather sat in a support groove with sections held to each other by two metal straps approximately 150 millimetres or 6 inches long, 25 millimetres or 1 inch wide, and 5 millimetres thick, with two connecting bolts on each side of that strap on each side of the slab section. The metal straps were not load-bearing and provided little structural integrity under stress. Their role was to keep the segments from pulling apart in normal daily use. In the first few weeks of opening, some warning signs of the incorrect construction methods and design issues included several reports of cracking on the concrete along multiple sections of the pathway, both on the ground and suspended. The Institute of Criminology, Carlos Eboli, ICCE, indicated that the collapse was due to the lack of any pre-construction study into the impact of waves on the pillars and inadequate fixing of the I-beam track onto the pylons. Let's talk about the funding and award. The pathway was designed and constructed by the Concremat Group's subsidiaries that had been founded in 1951. Antonio Pedro Vigueas Figueroa de Mello had served as the campaign treasurer during Mayor of Rio, Eduardo Paez's first run for office in 2008. Concremat was founded by Figueroa de Mello's grandfather, and whilst de Mello had never worked directly for Concremat, following the incident, public records were reviewed and showed that the number of jobs awarded to Concremat had increased considerably in recent years. In the period between 2000 and 2008, 16 contracts in total for a total of 24.8 million race were awarded to Concremat at an average of 3.1 million per year. However, in the period between 2009 and 2016, 54 contracts for a total of 451.6 million were awarded to Concremat at an average of 64.5 million per year. 
That's an increase of nearly 21 times. And whilst some percentage of that increase related to increased government spending due to the impending Olympics, other companies did not see contract award increases anywhere close to this level. The Federal Electoral Tribunal found that Concremat donated over 5 million race in total to multiple politicians and their campaigns in the most recent two election cycles. They also noted a large percentage of that went directly to the mayor of Rio, Eduardo Paez's political party, the PMDB, or Brazilian Democratic Movement. The bikeway contract itself was awarded to Concremat after three companies had submitted tender responses and they were evaluated using the council's competitive tendering process. Unfortunately, for decades, Brazil has had many scandals involving bid rigging and bribery for major contracts with government agencies turning a blind eye or being implicated in the awarding process. Concremat was one of several companies already under investigation by the Brazilian Federal Police since December of 2015, where they were collectively accused of price-fixing a contract to skim nearly $200 million in contracts. The coastline also had a long history of violent seas from the Atlantic, and yet, with the path so exposed, there was no suggestion from either Concremat or the government to develop a risk management plan during high seas. Similar paths built in other parts of the world have closure signage and transient barriers for periods of high seas where traversing would present a risk to individuals, although usually as protection against individuals being washed away or injured rather than from bridges collapsing. The National Institute for Space Research, INPE, reported the wave height on that day was just greater than 5 metres, noting that this was quite common in autumn and winter along that section of coastline and should have been a design factor considered during the design. There is no evidence to suggest that it ever was. The Institute of Historical and Artistic Heritage, IPHAN, also noted it was never informed the bikeway was being built, which highlighted that multiple agencies that should have been consulted as part of the design and construction process were completely excluded from it. And whilst no reason for this was officially determined, it was most likely intended to streamline the process and ensure the project was completed well ahead of the Rio Olympics. Despite these apparently cut corners, the bikeway was still delivered six months later than scheduled and was over budget by more than $2.5 million. Let's talk about the fallout. In the wake of the incident, Marcio Mercado, the president of Geo Rio, that's the part of the Department of Municipal Works, handed in his resignation as a result of his implication in the award of the pathway contract to Concremat. In an attempt to make good and at the insistence of the mayor, Concremat rebuilt the fallen section in the months that followed the incident ahead of the 5th of August opening ceremony. Google satellite imagery clearly shows the bike path on the 21st of April no longer intact since its collapse up to the 16th of July 2016, with the bike path section still missing. Some 13 weeks or three months after the incident, on the 23rd of July 2016, the bike path's missing section was being replaced, and by the 27th of July 2016, it had been repaired, with 15 days to spare before the opening ceremony. Shortly after the incident had occurred, Judge Marcelo Martins Evaristo da Silva ordered the closure of the bikeway and suggested it be demolished. However, Mayor Paez appealed that decision, stating, with regard to the demolition of the pathway, and I quote, technically, there is no such need, end quote. Anna Teresa Nadrus, 
an urban designer in Rio with four decades of experience, put forth a petition to demolish the entire route, with the petition stating, and I quote, Demolition of the Tim Meyer cycle route. This mistaken construction is responsible for two fatalities, and there may be further lives lost. End quote. This petition gained a total of 2,500 signatures in only a few weeks. Despite its brief repair and temporary use upon reopening, a final decision was to close the path after all. However, it was never demolished. Hence, the bike path still remains in some limited use today, despite signage and blockages suggesting that it shouldn't be. There is a sign saying, Atencio, or attention in English, no bicycles and no pedestrians. The pathway is also blocked by single concrete block sections salvaged from roadside barriers at all entry and exit points along the pathway. The pathway suffered further damage in subsequent years, including in February of 2018 when a 10-metre section of the bikeway that was built across sand fell into a washout near the beach. The inauguration plaque still remains today, albeit heavily graffitied. People can and do easily bypass the concrete barrier through wide gaps on each side of most of the block segments, and the path is therefore still used by people today. Pedestrians, surfers moving between beaches and cyclists are all clearly visible on recent street view footage, as well as publicly posted images from people using the pathway on social media. It certainly appears as though the signage and concrete blocks aren't much of a deterrent. So what do we learn from this? There are two primary lessons I'd like to take away from this. And skipping past the obvious, please don't be a corrupt local government and hold people to account, designs must meet normal use conditions as well as environmental conditions that are likely to be imposed upon it during its design life. Building a new bridge adjacent to an existing road bridge that's 100 years old, one should consider the construction techniques and the history of that adjacent bridge that's still standing. And had you, you would have found plenty of evidence of large waves and structural hardening as a clue that waves could be a bit of a problem in that location and could get quite large. Apparently, this didn't occur, and as for why it wasn't considered, we may never know. Most likely, cost, time, and possibly a large number of projects underway leading up to the Olympics caused it to be overlooked. In something of a different ending note, though, I'd like to add something else. Why didn't they demolish it? In Australia, it's required that when an old roadway, for example, is replaced by a newer and upgraded roadway, that the old roadway has its access and egress points removed entirely to prevent vehicular access. And in the case of bridges that are deemed to be no longer safe, they must be removed entirely. If it still stands, people will use it, because people aren't all civil engineers. Most people look at a bridge, they're happy to walk across it, fish over the edge of it, or ride a bicycle over it in this particular case. The problem is that demolition costs money, and it's driven by one of two construction-related events. Firstly, demolish the old to build the new, either in the same place or nearby. You can roll the demolition cost into the new construction project budget, no problem. The second option, demolish something that won't be replaced because it is no longer structurally safe. The problem with the second option, it seems to be primarily driven by fear of retribution, either via legal or financial means, 
meaning if someone is injured or killed on that structure and you didn't demolish it, then you could be held liable. Of course, it could and should be driven, well, to some degree, by a professional duty of care of all the engineers involved, and hopefully also their desire to protect their fellow humans. But let's focus on the litigation angle for a second. It seems to me that the environment in Brazil isn't as successful when it comes to litigation as some other countries. So if we remove that fear of retribution and we choose to not be concerned about the safety of others that might use it, even if it's used against a clear direction not to use it, we end up with a structurally unsound pathway that's still there today and people are still risking their lives walking or riding along it. Just, wow. The message is, demolition of what's no longer safe, no longer active, no longer correct, can be just as important as a new project itself. And so often, it's overlooked when it shouldn't be. And in the case of Temaya, they should knock it down and either not rebuild it or maybe rebuild it properly. I hope common sense and care someday prevails. If you're enjoying Causality and want to support the show, you can via Patreon at patreon.com slash johnchigi, or one word. With a thank you to all of our patrons and a special thank you to our silver producers, Carsten Hansen, John Whitlow, and Joseph Antonio. And an extra special thank you to our gold producer, known only as R. Patron rewards include a named thank you on the website, a named thank you at the end of episodes, access to raw, detailed show notes, as well as ad-free, high-quality releases of every episode, with patron audio now also available via individual Breaker audio feeds. So if you'd like to contribute something, anything at all, there's lots of great rewards. And beyond that, it's all really, really appreciated. There's lots of other ways to help, like leaving a rating or review on iTunes, favoriting this episode in your podcast player app, or sharing the episode or the show with your friends or via social. All these things help others to discover the show and can make a huge difference. Causality is part of the Engineered Network and you can find it at engineered.network and you can follow me on the Fediverse at chidgy at engineered.space or the network on Twitter at engineered underscore net. This was Causality. I'm John Chidgy. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you.